Welcome to the Age of Audio. My name's Graham Brown from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. The Age of Audio is a series of conversations with thought leaders and changemakers in the world of audio. That's podcasts, radio, and social audio, converging with big data to create engaging and authentic content for a new generation of listeners. What is it that somebody with 10 years plus or minus in BBC Radio as a presenter and a producer knows that your average podcaster doesn't know, firstly, about audiences and engagement. What did that teach you in all that time that we can kind of import into the world of podcasts? Yeah, I, I think what it taught me, and I'll draw in a kind of immediate parallel to the podcasting space as it seems to be like the majority uh, of, of podcasts at the moment, still following that, you know, head-to-head interview format. And, and I think that's a bit of a hang-on from how people have experienced radio over the years. They've always heard their favorite presenters interviewing, you know, head-to-head, whoever they happen to have on that day. The problem, I think, though, with the way that podcasting is gone and, and the reason why that head-to-head format perhaps is coming to an end a little bit is because actually radio presenters are so good at it because they first mm. built up their personality for, you know, you tune in for the presenter, not for the guest interview. Um, they have this uh, way of making themselves connect with the audience. You want to know more about them and find out about how their day's gone. You get a little bit of that banter in radio, which I wouldn't necessarily say works as well in podcasting. And so, you know, it's less about the guest interview and more about that personality. Whereas what's happened, I think, with podcasts a little bit too much is that people are looking for the next big guest to interview. And most of their episodes are very reliant on who they have mm. on their show rather than who they are as people, as individuals. So, from episode to episode, you know, you're putting the quality of your show in the hands of somebody else. Um, whereas what a radio station does is they use other people to add to the quality of the show, but really everything is focused around that one person, around the presenter. And mm. I think personality-driven programming needs to be a bigger part of the podcasting space because you want to fall in love with who you're listening to you don't want to have to fall in love with each and every guest because there's going to be guests and probably more often than not that you don't like or you're not interested in. And that shouldn't be the determining factor on whether or not you choose to tune into that podcast. Um, the host should be gripping enough that you care enough about them to tune into whatever episode they have, whoever they're interviewing, whatever guest happens to appear there because you love that person so much. And so I think I think that's probably... One of the biggest takeaways for me is that podcasting still is taking its time to catch up with that understanding of how it can broaden on what radio already offers. On the nail there, totally dig what you're saying. I say to clients when they're starting podcasts and friends that the audience always connects with the host. They may discover you because of the guest. But the host plays a pivotal role, don't they? Which is, they're a bridge. They're the ones that make the conversation relevant. They're the ones that understand the audience. And they're the ones that speak to the audience. 
right? The, the guest is effectively speaking to the host, but the host is speaking to the audience and asking the questions on behalf of the audience, right? And I think a lot of people shy away from that. Maybe, Ollie, it's because that the personalities you've talked about in the world of radio are experienced and they're professionals. Yeah, here we are in podcasting with amateurs starting that journey. Maybe over time, professionals will emerge. But I think they're kind of shying away from that pivotal role that the audience connects with them. And like you say, there's using these proxies, which is the guests, right? And the net result of that is that they get audiences to their podcast guest by guest, but they never translate to fans. They never translate to subscribers, which is like, I mean, if you go back to days of radio, that was everything, right? Getting people to come back to tomorrow or the next show, right? But in podcasting, it's kind of, we're as good as our last guest, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's this lack of willingness to give too much of yourself on the podcast. I feel, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, you have to sort of open up and deliver quite a big chunk of who you are as a personality mm. as well and more and more i'm hearing people saying phrases like oh i i don't want to be heard too much i just want the guest mm. to speak I, I just want to ask some questions but mostly let let the guest speak and i get that because you don't want to appear like you're constantly trying to you know vie for attention like you're fighting the guest for attention uh, in your own show but it, it really doesn't feel like enough anymore and i think another issue you know you mentioned about the amateurs is that those radio stars the people who are really good at it and really are engaging you know they're being paid big figures on big mm. national radio stations for a reason because they are few and far between and there's this sort of illusion in in podcasting because it's easily accessible that anybody can do it Mm. And I don't necessarily think that is true. I, I don't think it is something that you can just, you know, buy a microphone, set up and off you go, you're going to be the next big podcaster. It takes a special kind of person or it takes a lot of training experience and working hard at it before you can become that person. You know, the likes of Radio One presenters or, you know, um, any commercial station you can think of, they've got that wow factor because they've been training at it for years and years and you don't just get that by doing a few interviews and hoping that your next guest is going to get you some listeners they've had an opportunity to experiment in so many different ways as radio presenters before they've gotten into those big positions where they have done reports out and about they've done outside broadcasts they've done you know, I did trips in the radio car in the pouring rain, even when I did not want to do that. Mm -hmm. And that, but that really set the scene for my growth as a presenter because I not only presented shows which are like magazine shows, but also news programming. And you sort of tie all of those elements of your knowledge in together to become a fully formed, fully fledged podcaster and presenter who can actually take on different elements rather than just sort of focusing on one specific format and hoping that that's going to be your uh, way into kind of big listener figures. Mm. Um, I think as a radio presenter, but also I think 10 years coming up from the very bottom, I, I've learned that um, listeners don't just want to hear the same thing 
of everything every single time they tune in. You know, occasionally you want something like a more colorful report, like a package. I think what the big companies are doing at the moment in podcasting, this sort of big production company seem to be leaning more towards that really narrative feature-led programming rather than just the strict head-to-head interview because they've seen the value in you know, making it a craft, making something really special um, out of the content. And so, you know, for me, radio has always been a mixture of those interviews with, you know, if I say packages, I assume you probably know what I mean, but Hmm. beautifully crafted crafted soundscapes, you're speaking to three or four different people, you've got Vox Pops, you've got um, the sounds of the environment that you're in, you've got the presenter explaining where they are, what they're seeing. You know, those things are really important because you're giving that visual experience to your listener. And I think the visual element of podcasting right now is still very much lacking and it's something that people just tend to forget. Hmm. If you go to something like BBC Sound, as an example, there's some amazing recreations there effectively where they've created these sort of immersive formats. That's the visual part, even though it's in audio, that they're painting pictures inside your mind. They're taking you places. And they've got very strong anchors as well, very strong journalists or reporters. When you were in the world of radio, who in your mind was, uh, you know, an avatar that you looked up to? Might have been BBC, might have been commercial radio that you thought, wow, this person is really the kind of content that I want to turn out. It's going to seem funny, but um, it's not somebody who, you know, a load of people will have heard of. It was the presenter that I, I sort of cut my teeth producing and her name was Jenny Kendall Tobias. She's still presenting at BBC Radio Guernsey where I started to this day. And, you know, she has this incredible way with people where she can sit in the same room as them for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or even sometimes an hour. And, you know, you would never get bored or tired of the conversation. And she would just get them to say the the most amazing heartfelt things often that they'd never said to anybody else that they'd never admitted to anybody else and yet here they were saying it live on radio Uh, but then she was also a massive proponent of getting out there into the community because with something like BBC local radio it is community driven of course so you've got to be a presence within the community to end up getting that attention from those people to be able to represent yourself as somebody who is important in their lives. And so she would be out there with her microphone, speaking to whoever she could find, speaking to Joe Bloggs or the, uh, you know, top um, politicians in the island. And she would sort of leave me to do the fun production stuff on the, you know, the packages. And uh, she gave me a little bit of time on air, which was also helped me, uh, in, mm. it helped me enjoy working for her a little bit more. But yeah, it's, I think it's just that um, she had a, a, an amazing ability to open up and mm. give a lot of herself. I think sometimes, you know, that does come to, that came to her detriment. It is quite hard to give so much of yourself away in such a public space. And so I can see why people are sort of hesitant to do it in podcasting. But I do think it just adds, you know, an, an extra bit of flavor that you, mm. you sort of don't get by sitting and taking the back seat in your podcast. It's a performance, isn't it? Even yeah. if, you were, if you were a musician and you're playing live, you would have to leave nothing on the table. You would have to give it everything. And then that's what the community, the audience would pick up on. 
if you were pulling back, you know, if somebody says to me in a podcast, oh, I'm, I'm not going to tell you about this secret or I'm not going to tell you about this story, then it immediately turns people cold. That opening people up is, is magical. And I love the way that you've put it as well in the sense that it's a two-way street, isn't it? You have to lead, dare to be vulnerable if you like. You have to be vulnerable for the audience and the guests to be vulnerable, more importantly, right? That if you want them to open up and talk about their failings and experiences and their journey, which is never a straight line, you have to do that as well. And you have to lead by example. But yeah, that's, absolutely. It goes back to your point, isn't it? That people don't want to do that because maybe, you know, 20 years successful corporate career, you've got ahead by not doing that. That's a challenge. Yeah. And also, um, it does go to that community aspect. If you are there out and about meeting the potential listeners of your radio show, or maybe in this case, podcast, you are um, immediately making yourself vulnerable because they get to see you, mm. know you, you talk to them. And podcasting is difficult because obviously it's a it's a global platform when you're putting out a podcast so it's not it's not as easy for you to meet in person all of the people who might be potential listeners in the future but you don't often see this connection being built with your fan base in the same way hmm. as you do with radio stations and it is difficult in an online sphere to do that because you're it's like a needle in a haystack isn't it finding people who will be interested in hearing what you have to hmm. say and then potentially tuning into your podcast. But I think to build up that trust from your audience, you do need an element of that. Hmm. And maybe the future needs a little bit of that audience engagement. And, 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 and it's not enough. Um, I've got to say, it's not enough to say at the end of your podcast, audience engagement doesn't count if you just say, please like us on Apple yeah. Podcasts. You know, there needs to be far more to it. There, are, there have been some really good examples of podcasts out there which have, you know, created massive Facebook communities. Mm. Um, there's huge engagement for things like my dad wrote a porno where the community has come together and uh, they sort of... Uh, wait with bated breath for the next episode hmm. uh, but that just that just doesn't happen enough mm. i'll just i'll just add it in there for those that don't know my dad wrote a porno is not actually that that's actually a podcast yeah yeah my dad didn't write a porno <laughs> well, someone's dad did though sadly <laughs> <laughs> i love it the, the thing is though like i say all of this and I, you know and i say the head-to-head -head interview is dead i don't think it is dead oh. completely i think it just needs to be tackled a little bit differently so i'll give you an example, I produce a podcast called Behind the Spine, and it's a show about narrative, looking at the sort of different narrative of everyday life. And the host does a head-to-head -head interview, but what I do with it is I do a lot of scripting and turn the episode into like a book, essentially. So there's three chapters within it. Mm. There's a prologue and there's an outro with writing lessons. Um, and so I don't actually think it's about reinventing the wheel and you don't have to necessarily mimic what the likes of um you know gimlet media are doing or you know whoever the big production company is you don't have to uh, you know have a team of six doing immense levels of research to put out a good podcast but you just have to make it a little bit unique do something which 
just breaks the mold a little, but doesn't mm. reinvent the wheel so that you're not investing too much extra time in. And I know a lot of this comes down to time when it's amateur mm. podcasts, but small tweaks to the standard format, I think, can make all the difference. Yeah, it's coming from the angle of how do I engage the audience as opposed to, you know, how do I create content? And I, you know, you're absolutely right. The, the head-to-head interview is not dead for sure. It's just how it's done. I love what you're doing with that format. And I think that that's something that people should listen to and explore. And, you know, just to see, you, you've got to hear lots of examples, haven't you, of what is possible. It may not work for you, uh, but you need to have this sort of repertoire of options, you know, a cookbook, if you like, of what could work for a podcast. Mm. And, you know, I see interviews, just as an example, I mean, we go back to radio. Take Howard Stern, for example. You know, I, I see someone like Howard Stern. I mean, he's got his haters. And certainly his, his, his early days of radio were just terrible. But he had <laughs> to fill the hours and, you know, he had to fill the, the, the airtime, right? But as he got older and actually focused on interviews, he became really good. And, you know, I've seen, you know, when you talk about opening up, it's, it's done in a very different way. It's done in his style, right? You know, it's kind of like, it's a bit sort of frat style. And you can imagine these days, it won't age very well. Uh, but as an interviewer, he's, he's top of his game. And, you know, you compare that to, say, Larry King, who is like one of the master interviewers. I saw him do a, an interview with um, Morrissey, the musician from The Smiths, right? And, uh, you know, Morrissey's a really awkward character. <laughs> and it's quite clear that Larry King didn't know who this guy was. So he asked him these very stock questions. And I watched this very stale interview. And I was surprised that, you know, there is like a contrast. If you put Howard Stern on him, what a difference that would make. Because, you know, Howard Stern would talk about his wife and his sort of like failed sex life and display all that vulnerability. And yet, Larry King is just reading a list of questions. I think a lot of people sort of, you know, with all due respect to Larry King, you know, he was of a different era, but people are kind of going into podcasting almost like Larry King style, you know, ask good questions. Whereas, you know, that's fine, but there's no thought about what the audience wants out of that. And from the world of radio, you know, the constant battle must be, what do my listeners want to hear from this guy, right? What do I want to ask him and how do I engage them? So I just feel, you know, like we're, there's a lot to learn here in this space from different styles. And I wonder if, you know, like opening up is going to come naturally to a lot of these corporates. Like what do they do? I mean, you can't be Howard Stern as a, a VP of some management consultancy, right? Where do they draw their inspiration from? How do you become more engaging without, you know, talking about your wife and your sex life to get the kind of vulnerability <laughs> out there? Yeah, and then and then you you think like you think of interviewers like Paxman, you know, mm. his, his like to to do a Paxman now as a saying. That's what you want, isn't it? Mm. And that's uh, a few times in a lifetime you're going to get interviewers like that. And so I I do think at a certain point it has to come back to the content a little bit. It can't rely purely on people trying to be who they're not, um, trying to be a massive radio personality in a podcasting space, VPs of com companies, these CEOs who do want to share their information, you know, there's got to come a time when they think there's got to be a better way than by doing these 
interviews these stale right. interviews where the questions are pre-planned and you know my favorite interviews that i ever did as a presenter were when the guest turned up at reception and said they were booked in i couldn't for the life of me remember booking them in so ah, i had to love it. to drag them into the studio and be like oh yes sorry Anne. yeah of course i no, of course i remember just remind me what the name of your, your why, does why does that work why does that work better it's just uh, people go in with too many questions with too much of a preconceived idea about what the conversation is going to be and how it's going to mm. pan out and that really stifles them you know i used to write three questions for my guests and i wouldn't ask any of them mm. because what you want to do is have that natural response to everything they're saying you want to be waiting mm. on um the end of each of their sentences just like the listener would be thinking always in the back of your mind how would the listener what question would the listener want to ask right mm. now? And, you know, because that's another issue I, I, I see with sort of pre-planned questions, people going in with a list of 20, is that they're always just thinking about that next question they're going to ask. They're not thinking about what the guest is actually saying. Um, sometimes the guest ends up repeating themselves because mm. the presenter's not been listening. If you think about it in the context of radio, Ollie, that even those questions were submitted live, and you would have the phone-ins. I loved phone-ins. You know, obviously they, they got used and abused to the full extent <laughs> in the world of radio. Uh, but you, you can consider, for example, like even in the world of sport, like talk sport, which actually has zero gameplay, game footage, right? Because of the, you know, the rights issues, you can't have any kind of commentary from the actual sport itself. But you have people just talking. You know, you go anywhere in the world and catch a taxi and they'll be listening to talk sport and people phoning in and giving their opinion about the new manager or, you know, the, the last game, the substitutions and so on. And yet that format is universal, whatever language. And I find that fascinating is that radio has evolved and has that as a DNA. And yet here we are in podcast, like you say, the questions are really, okay, submit your questions at the end. Or even if we see it in webinars, don't we? We have the Q&A session at the end. To me, that seems very strange, doesn't it? Is that a good radio presenter would take the questions all along and keep that conversation going. If it's relevant, let's ask the question now. I wonder what's missing. I wonder what we need to do to really bring that up to speed to make it fully engaging with the audience. Yeah, and you, you've got that issue where I think most podcasts are listened to only 80% through and then people switch off for that last 20%. I, they, they can't be bothered to heal those announcements and the outro mm. and you know that content that you're delivering them, the message that you want to get out there needs to be delivered early. Otherwise, it's not going to be heard mm. by most people. Driving audience engagement is hard because it's really difficult to figure out what question people are going to want to bite on. Um, because no one's going to respond to a generic call to action. They want something very specific that they care about, that they, they're going to spend the time writing in about. So you have to think, whatever niche you're in, whatever guest you've got coming up, what does my audience care enough about that they're going to take mm. a moment out of their day to speak to me about? And actually, that's where radio, because it knows its audience so well, um, has a real handle. You know, <laughs> it's... It's funny to say, and it may be a bit embarrassing to say, but 
we knew that if we needed to get people to phone in at, uh, at BBC local radio, we just asked them about, about dog poo and how annoying <laughs> people leaving their dog. <laughs> how annoying it was that people you know didn't the pick up their dog poo. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you were like, oh, we haven't had a bit of engagement in the last few days, right? Let's talk about dog poo. And it and it's it's about that, isn't it? It's about thinking a little bit more. I think it all comes back to thinking about your audience. Mm. Uh, I almost mm. sound like a broken record, but even in but how con- did you know that? Like, you know, okay, so I have a podcast, and just for argument's sake, it's about garden furniture. How do I know who my audience is? Like. Where does that information come from? Where's the starting point? Do I start a podcast about garden furniture because I'm really into it? Or do I identify an audience and think, what podcast do they want? Yeah, a lot of people say sort of identify your avatar, um, the, the, the exact person that you're trying to broadcast to. Whether or not that helps, I'm not sure. But you should probably start reaching out to the communities of people who care about garden furniture and, mm. you know, find the Facebook groups, talk to them about what they want to hear from a program rather than just sort of assuming you know what they want or assuming because you're interested in something means they're going to be too. You can find the latest magazine all about garden furniture and you could talk to, you know, a lot of these people, uh, editors, journalists, they will spend five minutes on the phone with you and talk to you Hmm. about what they do and what they're interested in. And sometimes they'll give you a little bit of an insight into their audience as well. Uh, You know, it's not going to cost you anything and you just have to reach out. The worst that can happen is they say no. And then once you're reaching out to people on Facebook groups and and other places like that, you know, you've got this, um, you're tapping into genuine passion for the subject it's i think it is a mistake to just go into podcasting and you know in the hope that someone's just going to listen to your show and that you're you're just going to hit the nail on the head the first time round and and also you know if you know already what you need to talk about when you're chasing your tail when you're struggling for that guest and your next episode has to go up tomorrow your the panic won't set in quite as harsh and um, quite as harshly because you'll already have an idea about the topics mm. and the kind of people that you should be approaching and the sorts of things you should be discussing you're not going to be plucking an idea out of thin air mm, yeah it's interesting i i it sees a lot of people start i mean i've been guilty of myself starting a podcast and uh, to, to some extent it, that starting a podcast and not doing your research uh, you look at the survivors of that strategy and there's that sort of survivor bias, isn't it? That the ones that were successful were just lucky effectively and therefore that then doesn't validate the model that you can do that as well, especially now where it's getting harder to promote podcasts. If you were to go back three or five years, you could produce a podcast garden furniture and you would find an audience because there was a ready-made audience there on Spotify, on Apple. However, that's changed because Spotify and Apple are a lot more discerning with their traffic. They're not going to give it to every single Joe Schmo who's got a podcast because they want to give it to the guys who are going to bring people back. So that's the guy that's publishing every day or the guy that's publishing uh, content that people subscribe to. Now that's going to create a problem because people, like you say, I mean, we, we go back to music at the beginning. I mean, as an example, like, you know, um, you said that you know you can pub everybody can publish a podcast now right and it's the same with like music i feel that everybody can play an instrument well 
but it doesn't mean that they're going to be successful. And that's fine because like every, you know, people can play for intrinsic reasons, which is I enjoy playing. I just kind of like making music. I enjoy gigging like at my local pub. However, there's sort of extrinsic motivations are like making it a success. And therefore, those guys, I, th I feel, are going to be challenged because now you have this double whammy. On the one hand, a lot more competition. And on the other hand, you can't employ these sort of strategies that worked five years ago. You're going to have to get a lot smarter, which is you're going to have to do your outreach stuff, which you're talking about, Molly, right? You're going to have to talk to communities. You're going to have to ask them, what are their pain points? This is the dog poo stuff, right? What, what is it that really triggers them that they <laughs> want addressed? And then, you know, like ask the questions that they want addressed, right? And this, to me, sounds like a lot more work and it's a lot harder now. And it's oh, a yeah. lot more like, you know, starting a startup, you know, you've got to validate the idea, right? Are you, or otherwise you just have to get lucky, right? And the, the numbers are quite low. So I'm wondering about where this is going and your thoughts on where we're heading. Like you've mentioned already the, the interview format. I mean, it's not going away and it's a great starting point. It's a great sort of step one in the ladder for a lot of podcasts. Uh, do you think we're going to evolve into higher production values? Uh, do you feel that they're going to be more emergence of these sort of radio type stars, hosts in podcasts? What, what do you see is interesting? That sort of the emerging trends from your, you know, your your vantage point. Yeah. So I think what the I think the biggest um, fallacy uh, of podcasting is that it can be radio um, and the, the thing with radio is that it is a place where you can just tune in ad hoc you can you're not really ever sure what you're going to get but because of that you understand that whatever content you get is going to be a bit random you might get an interview with a gardener one day an interview with an astronaut astronaut the next day uh, podcasting can't be like that um, and actually it shouldn't be like that those that niche that you define needs to be tightly defined and and kept to as well. Your audience needs to know what to expect from episode to episode. Uh, that's not what you get in radio. And in fact, I think that's why we're probably going to see the eventual decline of radio, particularly in the UK, at least um, over the next five to 10 years. I think local radio stations are going to start to disappear more and more. It's already started happening because people, you know, it's an on-demand culture these days. People really want to hear uh, whatever suits their mood right now. Uh, just like music as well, on-demand music, mm. tuning into radio and getting any old 70s pop tune isn't going to be enough for people and hasn't been enough for people for a long time now. If you want to listen to death metal that day, you're going to have to go on Spotify and listen to death metal because you're not going to get it by tuning into BBC Radio 2. Mm. So niches are going to more and more need to be tightly defined, but also th those production values are going to have to get higher. Um, amateur podcasters are going to have to really train themselves in the way of creating soundscapes, proper sound design and doing their research. You know, it's potentially going to take a lot more time for them to put together the sort of dreaded idea that you release less than once a week. It, it might be, right. ha it might have to be a necessity for amateur podcasts, even though I would always recommend once a week to gain that traction because you know, we, we're seeing uh, Netflix looking to enter the podcasting space. I think Facebook are even talking about it. And then mm. you've already got the big players who are creating 
a hugely successful podcast with teams of five, six, seven, eight, whatever it is, there isn't going to be this sort of breakout culture where the little man can suddenly become the most famous podcaster. It it hasn't been like that for a long time, but now more than ever, that is going away. Um, I think people are going to have to think more specifically about the content and why it might be content that that somebody can't get anywhere else Hmm. you know what exactly are you giving the audience which they aren't getting or how much research are you putting on in that they can't be bothered to do because relying on having a big pop star name like getting michael buble on your podcast isn't really going to cut it when five six seven other podcasters have done the exact same interview with yeah. Michael Bublé. Uh, those production values will have to get higher. It may weed out some people. It may make it an impossible situation for some people, which is a shame because it is nice that podcasting has this incredible community around it. You know, I discovered uh, when I started podcasting that there are so many people out there willing to share ideas, tips, mm. just this amazing, friendly community. But will that will that disappear hopefully not it may see a decline as people realize just what sort of effort you need to put in yeah you're right ollie absolutely you've been listening to the age of audio with me graham brown from the award-winning podcast agency pickle and co to get access to all the audio conversations and book content for The Age of Audio, go to www.theageofaudio.com. One more time, theageofaudio.com.